This is The Takeaway. I'm Todd Zwillick. Another conversation now on addressing sexual harassment and gender in America. What can men do to help advance the cause? We brought that question to Koa Beck, editor-in-chief of Jezebel, and Jessica Bennett, gender editor for The New York Times. Every week they share their thoughts on a different piece of this moment. And this week we asked them to reflect on some of the ways that they think men can be real allies right now. Koa, so I know that we actually each brought in lists of things that men can do. We sure did. <laughs> what are talk to me about male allyship? How does one be an ally? What are effective strategies and ways that people can jump in? So I would like to note that my list is informed by actual conversations and experiences I've had with men in my life and a lot of times this is a variation of what I have told them. So the number one quality in a true male ally is listening, not waiting for your turn to speak, but truly listening to the experiences of people who have been violated and harassed and actually being present in what they are saying. Come in with the understanding that you may not be the closest to this this issue. Absolutely, men can be victims and have been victims in this conversation, but just come into this with the understanding that you may not understand this. Next on my list is being willing to unlearn a lot of cultural conditioning you've learned about courtship or how to interact with Mm -hmm. women. I think what we need is not only men who think critically, but men who are willing to unlearn those things and assess them for what they are and assess them as a problem. I think these are really important. I also like to try to provide concrete in the moment things Mm -hmm. that men can do. Because listening is one thing, but jumping in when you see something going wrong Mm -hmm. is another. And so I think disruption. You know, if you see something that looks out of place or that looks like the woman is uncomfortable, jump in. Bystander intervention is so important. Do you remember that story about the guy on the New York City subway who became known as Snack Man? I miss So there was some sort of confrontation (laughs) happening. I'll explain. I love Snack Man. (laughs) There was some sort of confrontation happening on the subway, and people were getting in a fight. And this guy had a, a box or a tube of cheddar Pringles, and he decided to stand in between these two people in the middle of their confrontation and just eat his Pringles. <laughs> and it was the perfect silent intervention that got them to start. And somebody was, of course, taking a video of this. It went on YouTube. It went totally viral. But that, to me, is a perfect way of intervening. He didn't even have to say anything. He just stood there and separated these people. So I think intervening can be really important. You know, if you see something happening in a workplace, confronting the harasser after the fact or confronting the perpetuator after the fact, people witness this stuff all the time and they don't do anything. So maybe you don't feel comfortable confronting the person who is doing the harassing. But what you could do then is talk to the person who is the victim of it. Are you okay? Something as simple as are you okay? And to actually talk to the victim as opposed to reassigning the victim. In a lot of workplaces, the common tactic when somebody has gone to HR and reported sexual harassment is that the person who has been victimized will just be reassigned. They will be sent to another department. To get away from the harasser as opposed to getting rid of the harasser. The harasser, which actually we just saw in the Times reporting on Hillary Clinton and what happened in her campaign and that the harasser reportedly stayed in exactly his position, whereas, you know, the young woman who came forward was sent elsewhere. And that harasser harassed somebody else. Surprise! Even though we're seeing a cultural shift around victims being believed within Me Too, overarching across all of this, believe victims who come forward and 
say things. Um, I This is anecdotal, but e- even just on a small level, I remember when I was in my early 20s, this just came back to me while you were talking. I was walking along the Astor Place area, and I became aware of the fact that a man was following me. And he had been following me for blocks and blocks and blocks. And I wasn't really sure what to do. It was like early night. So I remember ducking into a Starbucks just to surround myself with as many people as possible. And I remember getting in line to sort of protect myself and be around other people. And then I remember getting to the cashier and I didn't really want anything. And also being 23, I was very resentful that I had to buy something Mm -hmm. because I was being followed. (laughs) And I remember getting to the cashier and thinking like, I could just buy something or I could tell this man that I'm here because another man is following me. And so I opted to do that. And I said, I I actually don't want to buy anything. I, I, I think that I'm being followed and I'm scared. And without even questioning me, he just looked at me and said, there's a door in the back. I can take you. And I mean, that was incredibly meaningful to me (laughs) because he could have looked at me and said, you have to buy something or Or, I don't see anyone. following. I don't see anyone. Yeah. But he just immediately believed me. And then he shuttled me out the back door and I got home safely. I also think these are all spokes of a larger problem, which is culture that is institutionalized to value men. So when we think about male allyship, I wrote about this a lot in my book, like what are concrete things that men can do on a day-to-day basis? Not just in a sexual harassment scenario, but in a regular scenario. All right, well, things like giving women credit for their ideas. Mm -hmm. Women's ideas are less likely to be correctly attributed to them. And even if you're in a mixed gender setting and a good idea emerges from the group, people, both men and women, are more likely to remember that idea as having come from a man. Because much like what you were talking about, these are things that are ingrained in us. Mm -hmm. You know, we, since the beginning of time, have been taught that it is men's voices that are leading. It is men's voices that are important. So unlearning some of those behaviors, you know, you can do simple things like interrupting an interrupter. So (laughs) we talk a lot about women's voices not being heard. Women are twice as likely to be interrupted when they speak as men are. So women and men can do this. But if you see someone being interrupted, you can be like, hey, can you let her finish? As simple as that. My favorite thing to do in the interrupting conversation, which I've been across a lot, is um, Jessica wasn't finished talking. (laughs) (laughs) And then more broadly, I always think about this as supporting companies that have women in power. All of these problems need to be dealt with on a day-to-day basis, but structurally we know that organizations that have more women in leadership are less likely to have sexual harassment problems. They are actually more effective. They actually are better economically. They bring in higher returns, every good thing you could possibly think of, and they're generally more inclusive. So what can we do? Sort of what we spoke about a few episodes ago about putting your money where your mouth is. Support companies that support women, whether that means working for them or supporting them with your dollars. Jessica Bennett is gender editor of The New York Times and author of Feminist Fight Club, speaking there with Koa Beck, editor-in-chief of Jezebel. You can hear all of their conversations on our website at thetakeaway.org slash memos.